We are in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We've been talking about the life of David last week, about the calling of David, about the purpose of God. God allows things into our life. He prepares us for certain things, and He calls us out to do certain things. The calling of God in your life may not be a missionary, a pastor, an evangelist, you know, a Sunday school teacher or something like that. It might not be something that has a title, right? But uh, you do have a title. Not only are you a Christian, not only are you a child of God, you have, an, you have a title called ambassador. How do you like that? Alan, you're an ambassador. That's pretty good. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Comes with a lot of authority and power, right? Uh, it's just hard to know where you get to use it. But anyway, you, uh, you do. And... Uh, and when you go into work, uh, walk through the doors and clock in and got to be around those yahoos all day and uh, you got to do everybody else's work for them too, you, know, you have to remember your little name badge says ambassador, ambassador for Christ. And boy, wouldn't that change the way we looked at the day every day if we, if we actually wore the name tag like the Mormons do, you know, instead of like Elder Derek, you know, it'd be ambassador. And um, that, that might be that might not be a bad thing, right? It might might keep us reminded what we're here for, and uh, and what we're doing. But you know what? God prepares us for that, and it's a continual preparation. It's th- it's throughout the rest of our life. Everything that we experience, everything God allows into our life, is honing our skills. You know, some people they get a job, they get a career, they go to college. Uh, if they go to college and um, and um, go to college and found out that it was a waste of money, no. If they go to college and uh, and uh, they come out and they're uh, a teacher, or an educator, or they're a, they're a doctor, or whatever, like that. They, they uh, come out and learn how to, anyway, I have all sorts of really snide comments to make. But uh, they come, come away, and some of them, Brother Chuck, you know, you teach long enough, and sometimes you do continuing education. If you want to go up the, the, the salary rung teaching, you're going to go back and get a master's within, what, 10 years? I think you, they, they like you to get a master's degree within 10 years. And you may go after that and go get another master's degree or another doctor or a doctorate or, or something like that. It's continuing education. You're continually growing in your field to make yourself more useful. Well, God does this in our life, doesn't he? He brings things in our life, continuing education from the time we get saved. He brings things into our life to teach us. So what? So we can be a a help, so we can be a use, so we can be an ambassador for all of those people that cross our paths. Isn't it amazing people's paths that we cross? If you you think, you know, 25 years ago I didn't know this person. They were living here. I was living here. You know, I, I just recently, I was looking at some family lineage, family tree things. And we had moved from, from, from uh, Springfield, Missouri uh, to uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Our family did. So we lived there. And uh, the, while we were there, little did I know, I just found this the other day, a cousin of ours, who's, goes, he's passed away now, but his name was Steve Eccles. And he, he made a lot of, he's a, like, just a master guitarist. He, had, he taught in the universities. He had CDs. And he had all sorts of... Um, accolades for his music ability. And he was a cousin from part of the family that stayed in Wisconsin. Some moved here in 1938, some stayed. His father had a pottery business. It's still there. Eccles Pottery is still there. All of these funny things. But I noticed on on his obituary, it said he taught at Berkeley. uh, Wasn't it Berkeley? No, no, no. Anyway, he he was in Boston teaching music at the same time we were there. 
And little did we know we had a cousin probably 20 miles away that was working that we had no clue was even there. And he didn't know we were there. Same family. Had no idea. And it's amazing, you know, how paths cross. And so watch, it's even more amazing when they cross. Like, you, you see parallel tracks, but it's even more amazing when they cross. That's the providence of God. And he brings people into our life on a purpose. Sometimes he brings people into our life <laughs> to be a thorn in our flesh, to humble us, right? Sometimes we had a friend, he said, they bring, God brings people in our life that are the ankle biters, they just nip and bite ankles all the time, right? Like a little poodle. Right? And, uh, but they're, and they're for us. And then there are some of those that the Lord uses us to, to help, uh, help in their life. This is where David is. David has been called by God. He's been called by God for a purpose. His purpose is, is first of all, is the, the end of it all, one of the bigger uh, titles that David is going to have in his life is king. Now, it's going to be 14 years before he gets there, but he's anointed king in our text here, and he's going to be anointed king one more time, uh, another time, and then finally the third time when Saul and Jonathan are killed in the battle with the Philistines, and uh, they, he, is going to be, he is going to be anointed that third time, and he, will, uh, he would ascend to the throne right then. But right here in our text, he's not king yet. No, he doesn't have a great title. He's a shepherd boy. He's living at home. Dad says, take some food to your brothers. They're the battle warriors, right? These, these are the big boys. These are the guys that everybody notices. They're tough, and, and they're, they're down in war, and they left little David back to watch the sheep. He has no title. He has no, no future. Even though he's anointed king, he doesn't know what that means. How, how would you know what that means, right, as a, as a little boy? All, all he knows in his life is King Saul, and it's probably the farthest thing from his mind thinking that he's going to be in that position, even though he was anointed. So what I'm trying to get in, get really etch into us, is that you don't have to have a title. You don't have to be in some great place to be mightily, mightily used of God. Now, when David shows up on the scene here, we know what's going on, right? Goliath, the Bible says, we're going to read it here in a little bit, but for 40 days, he's been cursing Israel. And he's been cursing the God of Israel. And we're going to look at that here in a little bit. But God had a purpose in his calling. God had a purpose in choosing David. And, uh, and uh, he had a, 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 an ultimate goal for him as king. But he was molding him all the way there. Even before he got to Goliath. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But even before he got to Goliath. What experience did he, did he tell his brothers that he already had? What did he say? He said, he said this, this uncircumcised Philistine will be nothing. Why? What did he say he already did while he was watching sheep? He killed the lion and the bear. He said, I grabbed the lion by the beard. I killed it. You know, I killed the bear and got the lamb. I mean, that's a pretty good resume. And do you realize his brothers didn't know about it? Uh, you know, David didn't come home going, guess what I did today? <laughs> you know, to him, that was just part of his, that's what he did. That's what you did if you're responsible. You, you guarded the sheep. It was no, it was like the, the thing that we look at it like, whoa, you like knocked out a bear? I mean, you knocked out a, that's pretty awesome. And it's part of the job. You know, isn't that nice when believers win somebody to Christ? It's like, well, just part of the job. They bring somebody to church. That's just part of the, you know, just part of what we do. Part of our duty. Hey, we're servants of God. 
Don't, don't, don't lose sight of that we're servants. You know, and then there are those like, uh, it's like, you know, it's, you never hear the end of it, right? Um, Vance Havner was preaching on Shadrach, Meshach, and, and uh, Abednego in the fiery furnace. And he said the you know, in the Bible it says they, neither did they even smell of smoke. And he said, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit put that in there. He said, some people, they would have told you about it for the rest of their life. They, they, they would let you know the smell of smoke was all over them, you know. He said, Not the, no, God didn't even let them out. You know, nothing to come out even talk about, you know, about their own doings. God did it all. And uh, it was a miraculous thing. So David's calling. David's calling. We saw that last week. The process of selection. It was kind of neat how we saw that. But today I want to show you something in David's cause. David's cause. It's good to have a cause, isn't it? It's good to have something to fight. It's good to have something to uh, battle, just so it's a good fight. <laughs> Not a, you're right, the good fight of faith. And, right. And, uh, and like I said, he wasn't king yet. He didn't have a big title yet. Now, I want to show you this, 1 Samuel chapter number 17. And look at verse 1. Let me give you the backdrop of this. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together in Shoko, which belonged to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah and uh, in uh, Ephesdamim. Well, that's a hard one. Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was the valley between them, the Valley of Elah. Now, I've been there. It's kind of a need. It's not as big of a, it's not like a mountain like you would think. It's a very big hill, and it's, it's way up there. But it'd be kind of like one of our, you know, big hills around here. Uh, not nearly as tall. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe a 75 or 100 feet up there. You know, not huge. But, and there's this big, broad valley. There's, a, there's the creek that runs through that, the little river that's not always running, but it, it runs through it at times. And uh, we uh, got to pick all sorts of rocks out of there. And I got a, a pile, a stack of rocks in my office up on my desk and with all my Israel stuff. And, and those were the Valley of Elah. Those were the rocks. And, and um, yeah, the, the tour guide said, take all you want. We'll bring a dump truck in next week and bring another load in. And so and they probably do, you know, a lot of people taking rocks home. And so, uh, so it was neat to sit there and look at this scene, scenery, right? It's a pretty big valley, actually. And to think of them hollering back and forth at each other is kind of interesting. And so here they are one side, the other side. And when the battle comes, they would run down the hillside and then run into the valley there and the flat spot and the, bat, you know, the battle was on, right? And so here it is. And he says, he, then there went, out of, uh, there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. So we have close to nine feet tall. People say that's impossible. Well, um, was it Ralph Wadlow in the United States? He was eight foot 11.1 when he died. And uh, he, the dryer shoe store in Aurora brought him over to Aurora for a big thing that, uh, at the shoe store. They had him there in Aurora back in the 40s. And boy, yeah, he was tall. <laughs> I wasn't there. I just saw a picture. Obviously, I wasn't there. But anyway, Goliath, nine feet tall almost, and he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And uh, UPS would have loved, or the United Postal, USP would have liked that, um, a coat of mail. 
And uh, I, sometimes I think that's how our mail gets here. Anyway, and the weight, it's like, it's like, what did you bring this through? Anyway, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. So he had all of this stuff on him. He had this massive spear. And then he had another guy in front of him with another shield. I mean, he was... He, he was decked out, man. He had the flak jackets. He had a, a Kevlar everywhere. He had another, you know, you, you see uh, the, uh, the guys, the SWAT team guys, and they have those big, sh- I mean, they, they are protected, right? He was protected in every way. And, uh, and he said, he stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Where are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. And if you be able to fight me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And of course they knew, you know, he's, he's lying. Philistines, if he lost, the Philistines didn't go, okay, uncle, we're your servants now. No, they ran and they regrouped and they're going to try it again, right? And, uh, and, he, and, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day, give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And David was the son of that Ephratite of, that Ephratite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man went among men, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next unto him, Abinadab, and the sh- third, Shammah. And David was the younger, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself forty days. Forty days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brother an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves and run to the camp of thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousands and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. And so Saul and they and all the men of Israel, verse 19, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines and David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took and went and Jesse had commanded him and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle, for the Israel and the Philistines had put uh, the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And he talked with them. Behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines. And he spake according to the same words, and David heard them. Now David's listening. First time he's heard this. And all of the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you, uh, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, and the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house. And David spake unto the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Right. And they said, uh, After the manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him, 
And Eliab, his eldest brother, when, he's, uh, when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither, and who, who, whom have you left with this few sheep in the wilderness? You know, and he goes on, I know the pride of your heart, the naughtiness, right? And David said, What have I now done? Verse 29. Is there not a cause? Famous words, aren't they? I mean, those are, what a battle cry that is, huh? And we could say it today. I mean, and we should say it today. Is there not a cause? And, uh, and so it goes on here that David had a cause. David had a cause for his battle. David had a cause for his words. David had a cause uh, to, uh, to fight. And what was the cause? Well, it was Goliath. Was it just that it was Goliath? I mean, why didn't he come with at any other time? Why? I mean, of course, he was only here because his father sent him, right? He wasn't looking for a fight. No, Christians, we don't look for a fight. It's not right. But when it comes, what's our, what we realize is, well, our, our paths obviously have crossed with this event. What are we going to do? David's life passed and crossed with this event. Now he's got a choice to make. Does he listen to this, 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 this giant run his mouth against the God of Israel? See, I contend that was the biggest problem David had with Goliath, was what he had to say about the people that God loved and what he had to say about the one whom he loved. Right? I don't know how you would react. Uh, if you're, if, I don't know how some of you men would react if some, your neighbor came out every morning out in the front yard and yelled all sorts of mean epitaphs at your wife. Right? I don't know how, I mean, I'd, be, I'd really have trouble on that one. Right? Maybe give him a track before you break his nose. I don't know. It's like, uh, wow, God has crossed our paths. Boom! You know? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And, uh, but no, th- this, why? This was somebody he loved. This is somebody David loved. This was, he was defying the God of Israel and defying the armies of Israel. And he's like, is there not a cause? I mean, this is a legitimate battle going on. It's a legitimate war, right? Uh, nobody's doing anything. Why on earth are you afraid of this? And so... You see here the concern, the concern of David. He was absolutely concerned with what was going on. But you notice what comes next. David found a righteous cause, didn't he? But it was challenged. It was challenged. Who was it challenged by? Well, it was challenged by his brothers, number one, and then by Saul. Yep. Family and government. What two, those are the worst places. <laughs> That's where a lot of problem comes from, doesn't it? The prophet is honorable, save his own country. Right. And so here he is challenged. By, you know, do you know you're, you're going to be challenged when you stand up to the cause that God puts in front of you? You're going to be challenged. You're going to be challenged when you speak a word that needs to be spoken. Right. You're, go, you're going to be challenged when you, when you, uh, when you give truth and and uh, where the truth is needed, right? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be challenged when you speak words. You'll be challenged from your family, right? Oh, you don't believe that, do you? Oh, you, I mean, that's silly. Oh, you know. I mean, just fill in the blank. You've been there. You've heard them all, right? You'll be challenged by family. You'll be challenged those from inside of the family and those from outside of the family. He was challenged by not only his brothers, but he's challenged, uh, he was challenged by Saul. He was challenged uh, by, the, by the government, you might say, by the authority that was over him. He was, he was challenged by them. And so we, we see that here. L- listen to verse uh, here. And, and David said, is there not a cause? 
Is there not a cause? Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 11 through 12, whereunto Paul said, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, he said, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He said, I'm not ashamed. I know the cause. I know why I'm preaching. I know why I'm ridiculed. I know why I'm stoned. I know why I've been beaten. I know why I've been put in prison. I know why I've been shipwrecked. Why? Because there's a great, great cause. He says, because of this cause, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of why I suffer. Right? Some people get ashamed for suffering. Paul said, I'm not ashamed for suffering because I know who I believed. I believe Jesus. Why, why should I be ashamed of it, right? But his cause was challenged, criticized. David was criticized by Eliab, his brother. His integrity, his motives, his ability all came under question. His integrity, oh, you're just doing that, the naughtiness of your heart. Your ability, aren't you supposed to be the sheep, little boy? <laughs> Who are you? You're, you're, not, you're not big enough to do anything, right? His motives were... were, were uh, were challenged, and, and his ability was challenged. That's when David popped up and said, well, good night, I killed the bear, I killed the lion, what's this uncircumcised Philistine? Big deal. He said, if God will deliver a lion and deliver a bear, which is almost meaningless to the plan of God, he'll deliver this Philistine. I'm telling you, I don't know how many times you've had to do this in your prayer life, when you've had a need, a legitimate need from God, and you've come to places and say, Lord, you, I mean, you provided this, and you provided this, and you have provided this, and there is, I mean, okay, somewhat meaningless in the scope of your plan, certainly you can take care of this, right? That's what David was saying. He's saying, listen, God, God will take care of this. Of course you will. Man, what faith, huh? I like that. But he was challenged. I found a list of things. Ten inventions that no one thought would be a, would, thought would be a success. Kind of fascinating list. We know most of these. Of course, the first one is the electric light bulb. When Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Uh, I, let me find it here. Scientist Henry Morton of the Stevens Institute of Technology predicted the invention would be a conspicuous failure. A conspicuous failure. Huh. <laughs> They're pretty handy, aren't they? My eyes are now. I can't see anything. I've been looking at the light bulb too long. Yeah, we've gotten even beyond a light bulb now. Now we're in LEDs. I mean, it's pretty awesome, right? A conspicuous failure. I think, uh, I think Dr. Morton was a conspicuous failure on that one, right? <laughs> so, uh, uh, alternating current, that's a pretty interesting one. What about the telephone? The telephone. Uh, listen, listen to what somebody said here. Of course, uh, Alexander Graham Bell became the first inventor of the telephone, granted a patent for the telephone, and he was the father of modern communication. Bell approached American communication company Western Union and offered them rights to his patent for $100,000, but the company bigwigs talked at the proposal, balked at the proposal, sorry, citing the obvious limitations of his device, which is hardly more than a toy. <laughs> hardly more than a toy. Wrong. All right, here we go. Here's a, the television. That would have been the, now this one right here would have been, a, would have been the best thing for our world if that was a colossal failure. It would have really helped us out a lot. But uh, here, here's what they said. They called it a development of which we need waste little time dreaming. 
We need to waste little time dreaming of this invention of John Logie Baird, a Scottish inventor, in 1926. And uh, in 1946, they state, Daryl Zanuck stated in 1946 that people will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. Has anybody got tired of that? I mean, they're like zombies in front of it, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's still here. Airplanes, of course, airplanes were told they, by, by uh, the Wright brothers themselves. Said, well, it'll take, it'll take 50 years for this to really, quote, take off. And it was only about 13 years later uh, that the first 10-seat Boeing 727 or whatever it was was in the sky. I mean, it was pretty incredible. Automobiles, they said, were, were just kind of a waste of time. Uh, spacecraft, right? Personal computers. Oh, this is I love this one, right? 1949, a year after the world first stormed, uh, stored program computer, the first, the world's first stored program computer, the small-scaled experimental machine made its debut in Manchester, England, a Hungarian-American mathematician declared, we have reached the limit of what is possible to achieve with computer technology. And even as the capabilities and functions of computers grew, the now ubiquitous device had its naysayers with Ken Olson, founder of the computer company Digital Equipment Corp, saying in 1977, that wasn't that long ago, right? 77? There is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. No. Oh, no, no. Because now we have them in our pocket. <laughs> right? No, listen, what am I saying? You, you, will always, you will always have criticism when you stand by faith. You will always be criticized by your family. You will always be criticized by those outside of your family. You are always going to be challenged when you stand up to what God says and you, and, and you cut, look at something that is put right in front of you and you can see as clearly as day, is there not a cause? And you say, let's take care of this. I'm telling you, somebody's going to come up and say, well, you can't do that. Right? You can't build a church there. You, you know, you, you, you can't, it's covid you can't keep your church open, right? Now, it's not COVID anymore. Who, I mean, I know there's a better one coming next. We're just waiting with bated breath for that one. But there's something bigger. It's going to kill. You do, you do realize with all these diseases that they're man-made, that's pretty interesting, that during the tribulation, like two-thirds of the earth is going to be killed by pestilence and disease. It's kind of, kind of interesting. But anyway, maybe not two-thirds. I might have to check my numbers again here. So don't write that down, please. So... <laughs> No, we have a cause. No, God brings things into our life to prepare us for when our life crosses paths with an event that God has planned for us, that we look at it, recognize what it is, admit and understand that there's a cause in it, and realize there's always going to be criticism when you stand up for God. You go to church three to four times a week? A revival what? VBS. What's VBS? You're going to be there all night? Every night? Well, no, not all night. Just a couple hours. Huh. Okay. Where's your family time? Well, define family time. Yeah. What is your family time? Staring at a box. Okay. Great family time. 
I mean, come on, right? There's always going to be criticism out there, and, and there's always going to be conflict that comes from it, right? Here's what you can't forget, right? Both Eliab and his brothers and Saul, when they challenged David, saying it can't be done, the one thing they forgot was the God of Israel. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Is what did God said? Remember, God said, "Is anything too hard for the Lord?" <laughs> right? Is anything too hard for Him? No, absolutely not. And so we see here David's calling. We saw David's cause, and we see here David's conflict. It's all about preparation. We're going to face battles. Most of us in this room have been on the planet long enough. Even those that haven't been on the planet as long as others, they've still been on it long enough, right, to face battles, to face trials, to face uh, discouragement, to face uh, 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 um, uh, a crossroad where they're going to have to decide whether they're going to follow God or whether they're going to follow family, whether they're going to follow God or they're going to follow society or their work or whatever it is. We've all been there. We've all had conflict in our life. It is an in- inevitable, and sometimes those conflicts can seem like an absolute giant. Here's a spirit, this is a spiritual application here. I mean, listen, we're going to face things that most people in the world would look at. Have you heard it? Have you heard it before? I don't know how they handle that. Yeah. That tragedy in their life. The tragedy with a child. The tragedy with a spouse. The tragedy with... And people will look on and say, I don't know how they handle that. What is it? What they're saying. It's a giant that most people would run from. Most people try to get, do you realize the majority of our life is trying to figure out how to pad it with creature comforts so we don't have to face negative things, right? We have air conditioning, we have electricity. I mean, I like it all, don't get me wrong. We have central heat, we have automobiles. These are all these creature comforts, you know, so we can kind of get through life a little easier than our ancestors did. I'm, I'm thankful I'm not living in a sod house. I'm really thankful of that, okay? I'm thankful we have wood floors and not dirt floors, and it's all good. But I'm saying that people, in general, we like to run away from trouble. But the wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And when the, when the people, when the family looks on, when the world looks on, sadly, watch, his brothers were just a bunch of carnal Christians. When the carnal Christians are looking on, they're like, what are you doing? Why would you, why, would you, why would you just take this into your life? Well, God's put it here. And is there not a cause? Right? Is there not? There is a cause. And uh, it's inevitable. We're going to face these things. And they are going to be giants in our life at times. There are going to be tragedies that the world looks on that doesn't, then they don't understand how we do it. But how did he do it? Well, there is preparation for the battle. There is preparation. Yeah. He was prepared. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not not able to go against this Philistine to fight for him. That's what the world says. Hey, that's what Satan tells you. Right? About your own spiritual battles. You You can't conquer that. Right? You can't give that up. You can't be consistent with that. No way, you know, right? That's what happens. It comes up all the time. You can't do that. You're not able to fight against this Philistine to fight with him for thou art but a youth. And he is a man of war from his youth. He's, he's like, David, 
You're not even a warrior. I mean, this guy started killing people at your age. And you're a boy and he's, you know, he's a seasoned warrior. That'd be like a, that'd be like, a, I don't know, a, a little, a little a kid getting a little Navy outfit for Christmas when he's eight years old and staring down a Navy SEAL and saying, I'm ready, bring it on. Right? You do what Goliath did. <laughs> All right, go play, kid. Go play. Right. This is what he's telling them. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of, out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, he shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. No, David was in love with God. And he said, you're not going to do this to the armies of God. <laughs> right? I love this. No wonder David was a man after God's own heart. Yeah. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me, will, will, he will deliver me out of the hand of the, this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, the Lord be with you. <laughs> you know, I don't know if Saul had much confidence. I, I don't know what the tone of voice was there, right? Am I, I don't know if it was like, Go, okay, go. Or it was like, Lord be with you, buddy. <laughs> Whew. I don't want to look at this. Right? I was in football practice, ninth grade. Everybody grew the ninth grade year. I didn't get the memo. And uh, tackling drills, and there's a line on this side, a single-file line over here and a single-file line over here. And the coach would throw the ball to one side or the other, blow the whistle, and they, boom, they had a, you had to tackle the guy with the ball. And uh, <laughs> it was my turn. I'm, uh, you know, I'm like 165 pounds now. I think back then I was literally about 103 pounds. And this kid, George, was over 200 pounds. And I'm ready. And all I remember is a coach going, And I had to tackle George. Oh, my word. I got him down, and it hurt. Man, did it hurt. I, I wonder if Saul was like, meh. All right, Lord be with you, buddy. I don't want to watch this. Right. Yeah. Saul armed David with his armor, put his helmet of brass on his head, and he armed him with his coat of mail. No, this wasn't what David needed. This wasn't what he needed. What was his preparation? Watch. God had already, watch it, David already knew the preparation was there. He had already run through his mind. If I can take care of a bear and a lion, right, I can take care of this guy. This is nothing. <laughs> I, I love it. So he armed it, David girded his sword upon, upon his armor, and he said to go, for he had not proved it. And he said unto Saul, I can't go with these. I've not proved them. And David put them off him. If you were to take somebody's weapon, a, a rifle, a and just lay it down and start to fire away. You need to get used to the thing. You need to decide it in. You need to, right? Same thing in these days. I mean, you just don't take some other guy's sword and just start whacking away at it. You're not used to it. You're not used to the weight of it, to the balance of it, to the way it swings. You're not used to any of that things, right? I said that like I know about swords, but I don't. But it just makes sense. So, anyway. He said he took his staff in his hand, his little shepherd's staff. I bet that was terrifying to Goliath, right? <laughs> <laughs> took his staff in his hand and chose them five. I like the smooth stones out of the brook. They were smooth stones. You know, uh, it wasn't one little stone went in the sling. The, the smooth stones are pretty big. I, I mean, i kind of seen them. Pretty good size. Yeah. 
put, took him out of the brook, put him in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. If you ever have an opportunity to get online and look up a video of how these, watch, watch them today use these slings. It's insane. I mean, these things are long, and man, they get them going. And when they fire out of there, I don't, I don't know how you would clock the speed of it, whether, what the, what the, uh, how it is related to a bullet. I, I mean, it's fast, but not as fast as a bullet, obviously, but it's unreal. And things like that big, right? You ever, you ever throw, chuck rocks at each other at kids? Alan, you ever chuck rocks at some? Yeah, I got in trouble for that once. And uh, they, little rocks hurt, man. I, I couldn't imagine something coming out of a sling that big, right? And uh, so he went after him. We know what happened, right? He went after him. He slung that dude, hit him in the forehead right where there was no, right in the helmet, right where there is no, no armor. You talk about good aim. That was, that was of the Lord. But you know what? David was confident of that. Do you know David wasn't, I, I don't, you know, it's like, you know, the results, we, we, we realize this when we go out for the Lord. We go out when, even in the realms of soul winning and witnessing for the Lord. The results are up to the Lord. You just swing it out there, right? It'll land where he needs it to land, right? It's, he said it won't return void, right? The seed has all of the power in of itself. Get it out into some good ground. It'll come, it'll, it'll, it'll lodge in and bring up, bring up fruit, right? Just get it out there. David just went, he swung, I mean, I think he probably tried to aim, obviously, Man, that's a, that's a pretty good target there. But he was prepared. He had proven methods. Do you know there's proven methods for the Christian life? There are proven methods for the Christian life. Read your Bible and pray every day. Pray every day. Right? You will grow, grow, grow. Yeah. We can, God, has, God has left us with evidences and, and a manual, the Word of God, to show us how to live. And it's proven. It's a proven life. And we, we see that in David's conflict. He had preparation. He had power in the battle. Man, faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. He believed God. That's what faith is. Just acting on the Word of God. Believing the Word of God. And of course, he prevailed. He prevailed. God prepared him for all of this. And you know what Goliath was a preparation for? Well, being king. This wasn't the last battle. Do you know Goliath still had four other brothers that some of David's mighty men finally wiped out? Yeah. There's, there's always, there's always uh, that's a whole other area we don't need to go to today. But he had more battles coming. He had more physical mil- military battles that were coming. But uh, he had some spiritual battles that he failed in. Yeah. He, he failed in. He didn't, he didn't feed off any of his preparation for that one. That one caught him. Caught him off guard. When he went to face Goliath, he was, he was going to battle. Right? And so often on a daily basis, we don't go out into the world with a battle face on and a battle mentality on against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Right? And you'll get caught. But we have all the preparation we need. God's preparing us. Hey, don't, don't, don't despise. Don't get bitter over the things, the negative things that God brings into your life. David could have got bitter at the lion and the bear. Because I can't believe God didn't keep those animals away. I could have gotten killed, you know, Lord. And you just let the bear waltz right in. You let the lion, no, this is what we do, right? How could you have let this happen? Yeah, David didn't do that. 
You know what he realized? It wasn't of the Lord. But he did realize his battle to, to, to win against Lion the Bear was of the Lord. The Lord delivered them out of my hand. He will deliver him out of my hand. Don't let things that come into your life make you bitter. It's so easy, isn't it? It's very easy. Instead, when they come in and you don't understand them, pray the Holy Spirit will remind you of this. Preparation. Because God needs to use His ambassadors in a battle. In a battle against sin. In a battle for the hearts of mankind to get them the gospel. And He's preparing us. He's preparing us. Joseph saw it. Joseph understood it. Totally changed the way he responded to his circumstances. May God help us today to realize that we've been called. We're ambassadors for Christ. We have a job that He wants us to do. We are servants of the Most High God. (laughs) And He's prepared us. He's prepared us for these battles. He has prepared us to use us. We have a calling in where He's preparing us for these things. Don't miss the preparation. Don't minimize it. Father, thank You. Thank You for the reminder. So often it's easy to get stuck in the doldrums and the down, down and out. When we see life, certain things come into our life and troubles come and giants come into our life and we don't understand them. We thank you, Lord, that you allow some things into our lives to to make us and to help us and to mold us and prepare us. Uh, Lord, that we would be better equipped, better equipped when you want to use us to show your power and glory in somebody's life. So, Father, would you help us to remember that? Would you use us that way? And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.